So what is communion? Children, do you know what I'm referring to when I use that word? In other churches, they will use other words, like some churches use the word mass, and other churches use the word the Lord's Supper. And of course, the Lord's Supper, the Supper, that gives us a bit of clue because it's something to do with eating and drinking. But goodness me, when we have communion, have you ever seen such a small cup, children, as that little cup that passes around? And how small can they cut that small cube of bread? It's not really a supper, is it? <laughs> it's the tiniest of meals. If you, It's not even afternoon tea. It's very small. And so we're going to look at the roots of communion and they go way, way back. And before your parents were born, that's a long time ago, way back, about 3,000, 3,500 years ago, there was a wonderful rescue from slavery that God did, did for his people. And it's in the book of Exodus. And there's this rescue from slavery and a Passover is mentioned in there. Now, in the next few weeks, Ryan and I are going to start a sermon series preaching through the book of Exodus, uh, not next week, but the week after. And so this is a little bit of a prequel to that sermon series because we're going to spend a bit of time in the Exodus story and how it affects communion, and it's the Passover. And so what's the background? I've got a little video clip I'll show you in a moment, uh, children, but the background is this. Centuries and centuries ago, to save his extended family from famine, from dying because of lack of food, a man called Joseph moved his extended family from what we now know as Israel, where the famine was, and moved them to Egypt. And God blessed Joseph's family in Egypt, and the numbers from few became many and many, so many that the Egyptians were worried. And so the Egyptians made them slaves. God's people became slaves, and it was cruel, and it was harsh, and it was horrible. And this is how bad it is as we pick it up in this video clip. See if you can see where the Passover fits. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. From Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now there arose a new king over Egypt. He set taskmasters over the Israelites, afflicting them with heavy burdens. They ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God raised up one who would deliver his people, Israel, from their bondage. His name was Moses. For years, God brought Moses through the household of Pharaoh and through a season in the land of Midian across the desert, preparing him for the day when he would lead Israel to freedom. One day, Moses was with his sheep in the land of Midian on the side of a mountain called Horeb. He noticed a bush full of flames, but the fire was not burning up the branches. As he walked nearer, God called to him from inside the bush, Moses, Moses, the Lord called out. Here I am. Moses answered, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I have seen the suffering of my people, and I am going to deliver them. I will send you to Pharaoh to bring them out of Egypt. But Moses said, 
Who am I that I could lead these people? And what shall I say when the people ask, Who is it that has sent you? What is his name? Then the Lord said, Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now therefore go, and I shall be with you, and will teach you what you shall speak. So Moses went and confronted Pharaoh, and boldly said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may worship me. But Pharaoh answered proudly, I do not know of the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And so, because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, God told Moses to strike the water of the Nile River, turning it to blood. Moses obeyed, and all the water of Egypt turned to blood. But when Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing, his heart was hardened, and he refused to let God's people go. Seven days later, God sent Moses back to Pharaoh. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go. If you refuse, I will fill your country with frogs. Again, Pharaoh refused. So Moses stretched out his hand, and frogs came from the rivers, canals, and pools until they covered the land. And yet, even when relief from the frogs came, Pharaoh still did not let Israel go. Next, God sent a plague of gnats to Egypt. They attacked the Egyptians, but left God's people alone. Pharaoh tried bargaining with Moses to stop the gnats, but ultimately did not let the people go. So God sent plague after plague upon Egypt, sparing his own people, showing that he was the true God and that the gods of Egypt were nothing. God sent flies, caused the Egyptians' animals to die, made people sick with boils, sent fiery hailstones, then swarms of locusts that ate everything in sight. And then, like a calm before the great storm, darkness covered the land. The time had finally come. After 400 years of waiting, there was only one more plague to wait for, the one that would bring freedom to God's people. Moses spoke one final time to Pharaoh. He told him that around midnight, that very night, the Lord would travel through the land of Egypt. Every firstborn son would be struck down and killed, from the firstborn of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the slave. Even in the face of God's wrath, Pharaoh refused. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Each man is to take a perfect male lamb for his family and kill it on the fourteenth day of the month. Then they should take the blood from the lamb and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of their houses. On that day I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals. But the blood will be a sign for you, for when I see the blood on the door frames, I will pass over you. Moses listened and told the people of Israel what to do. They obeyed, and in his grace God was faithful to his promise to pass over them whenever his angel saw the blood of the lamb. As Pharaoh saw his own son struck dead, he sent for Moses and told him to leave, he and all the people of Israel with all they had. God had kept his promise. His people were free. He led them through the wilderness and gave them commands so they would know how to follow him. In those books of the law, he commanded them to celebrate how God passed over them when he saw the blood of the Lamb. This would remind us of his faithfulness as he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. 
it would also point them forward to the ultimate Lamb of God, Jesus, who would take away their slavery to sin forever. Quite a powerfully told story, isn't it? For your homework, adults, I suggest you borrow a child and watch the movie The Prince of Egypt from where those graphics came from. It's a wonderful, wonderful retelling, faithful retelling with a little bit of license, but a faithful telling of the story suitable for children and for, for adults. But children, did you pick up what Passover was? Did you, did you, in that last bit, what the Passover was? Well, what it is, is that to be rescued from God's judgment, God's people had to kill a lamb in the evening. Now, they would do that now and again anyway to roast a lamb. In those days, they didn't have butchers. They had to kill their own animals. So that wasn't unusual. But what was unusual was they had to get the blood and to wipe it, to paint it on the door frames. So that that night when the angel of death came, he would pass over those houses and the people that were sheltering under the blood of the lamb. Where those houses that choose not to shelter under the blood of the lamb experience God's judgment. Now, this wasn't in the video, but because of the speed in which the Egyptians wanted the Israelites to leave, all their firstborn had died, and they, they would just wanted the Israelites out, the bread that the Israelites would normally prepare each evening, they'd make up the dough and all that sort of stuff so that they could bake it. They did not have time to put yeast into the bread, and they took the dough and baked it on the way, and it came out, well, bread without yeast, a bit like cracker biscuits if you're lucky. <laughs> And so there was this special bread as well. And after this dramatic and fearful night and number of twists and turns, God finally rescued the people out of slavery, God's people out of slavery. And after this rescue, God said to his people, you are to celebrate a special meal, the Passover meal, every year. And you are to kill a lamb, and you are to roast that lamb and have it with special bread and herbs. They didn't have to put the blood on the door frames after that, just that one night, but they had that lamb, and that was the Passover meal, and they celebrated their rescue from slavery because they were covered by the blood of the lamb. They escaped judgment. And for about 1,500 years, then God's people would celebrate Passover every year until one special night, the night before our dear Lord was crucified, Jesus gathered his good friends and had the Passover meal. And it would have been exactly the same sort of setup that they'd had for 1,500 years. But then Jesus, he changes everything. He changes everything. Remember the special bread. Well, that would have been on the table. And so Jesus says to his friends, his disciples, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I'm sure the disciples were scratching their head and said, what's Jesus on about? And then before they had a chance to ask, Jesus then took up a cup. And the cup of wine is a very important part of the Passover celebration. And he took up the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And again, I'm sure the disciples wondered what was happening. But events started to move quickly. After singing a hymn, they made their way. It was dark. They made their way out of the city to the Mount of Olives where there was Jesus suffered in the garden. And then a mob came and arrested Jesus. And while it was still dark, there was a trial. And Jesus, though innocent, was found guilty. 
and then before Pilate, and then carrying his cross to a hill outside the city on that first Good Friday, Jesus was crucified, nailed to the cross. And after much suffering, he cried, it is finished, and he breathed his last. And there, there was darkness and a great earthquake and confusion, and Jesus gave up his body and shed his blood. But the good news of this first Easter is the grave could not hold our dear Lord down. Far from it, death was defeated, and sins were forgiven. As from the grave, Jesus arose. And we rejoice. We rejoice greatly, for by his blood, all those who believe, all those who shelter under the blood of Jesus, we escape God's judgment. And by his body lifted up, all of those who trust in Jesus are no longer slaves to sin and death. We are set free. Because Jesus gave up his body and shed his blood, we escape the judgment we deserve and are set free and are slaves no longer to sin and death. And finally, the disciples understood what was happening at the Passover meal. Jesus had redefined that celebration because he gave up his body. We eat the bread, the bread that was broken for us. And because of his blood that was shed, we drink from the cup because Jesus on the cross gave up his body and his blood so that we can be set free. And so this is what we remember every time we have communion. The little wee tiny piece of bread represents the body of Jesus that was given up. And the little wee tiny cup of grape juice reminds us of the blood that we shelter on and protects us from judgment. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to celebrate communion until I come again. And that was 2,000 years ago. And today, all through the world, there will be people celebrating communion. We do this once a month. We did that last week. Thank you to Mary and Anne-Marie for leading uh, communion so ably while I was away. That's what communion's about. It's Passover meal redefined, where we shelter under the blood of Jesus and escape judgment, and Christ gave up his body so we're set free from slavery. And that's the Passover. And this is the communion that we now take. And at one level, this explains the tiny cup and the tiny piece of bread, but at another level, this is a deep mystery. And you can be following Jesus for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and there's still a depth and a, a, a glory and a specialness every time we take that simple piece of bread and take the cup. So that's where communion comes from, very much rooted in the Exodus story and Passover. But there's a caution in our passage from 1 Corinthian, a, a, a caution that was read out. This letter was written to a church in the city of Corinth, and they were getting communion all wrong. It was a mess. They were just, it was just, they weren't doing anything right. And so it's helpful for us to make sure that we're not getting communion wrong, to make sure that we're getting it right. And so this caution, this warning that we find in 1 Corinthians is something that we need to look into. 
And so we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, the very next verse. Paul writes, imagine he's got his grumpy voice on. Uh, Whoever therefore eats the bread of, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Goodness me. We need to ask, are we taking communion in an unworthy manner? We better not, because otherwise there'll be trouble. So what's happening in the Corinthian church? What was happening 2,000 years ago that, that the Apostle Paul writes these cross words, these stern words? Well, in Bible days, things were done slightly different. And when the New Testament was written, uh, Christians would gather on a Sunday like we do, but they would do it in the evening. Sunday wasn't, it was just the first day of the working week, and a lot of people worked. It'd be like if we had church on a Monday, we'd say, well, we can't do it on Monday because kids are at school, you know, mums and dads are working, we'll have it in the evening. So back in Bible days, that was the Sunday. So they'd have it in the evening, and they also would have a full meal because, of, uh, because it was practical, still connected to Passover. So on a Sunday, they would gather, they would have a full meal, and then they would worship and hear God's word. However, there was a problem in Corinth because the wealthy people, the people that didn't need to work, they would arrive early and they would start eating and they would start drinking. And then what would happen is that the people who had to work and the poorer people, the slaves, they could only get off later. And by the time they came, guess what? No food or only the scraps. Now, how rude is that? <laughs> Uh, imagine having a bit of meal and you're expecting, say, 12 people and a couple of people can't come because they're working late and you just say, oh, well, let's just eat. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't do that in your own home, would you? Let alone for the Lord's table. And this is why Paul's really grumpy. In fact, he instructs the people that are well-to-do, those that arrive early. He says, look, if you're really hungry, have something at home. <laughs> have something before you come so that when you do come, you don't eat everything. This is why Paul writes what he writes and reminds us what communion is really about. So nowadays in the 21st century, we've moved away from that full meal. And we also have, go to church on a Sunday. And in New Zealand, Sunday is generally the, probably the best day that you can get working mums and dads and children who aren't at school in the morning into a worship service. So those factors of having an evening service and a full meal mean that it's not possible for us to fall into the same mistake that the Corinthian church did. However, it's very important that we make sure that we are not taking communion in an unworthy manner and that we examine ourselves before communion. So even though it's unlikely that we will fall into the same mistake the Corinthians did, there are also other errors that we can fall onto. And this brings us to our take-homes, our take-homes for today. And the first thing is that before we take communion, it is best that we examine ourselves so that we do not take the cup and the bread in an unworthy manner. How does this work? Well, there's always a time between when the elders start serving and that you receive the bread and the cup and actually take it. And in this time, there are, often the music is quietly playing, there is a time for you in your heart to examine yourself and to say, Lord, is there anything I need to get right with you or anyone else before I take the bread and take the cup? 
And if something does take come to mind, then you need to ask God's forgiveness. And sometimes you may then have to, if it's something that you've done against someone else, you may have to afterwards uh, seek an apology. Or maybe if you've taken someone something of someone, you may need to give it back. Or maybe there's a behavior or something that you're doing that you need to stop. And so there is a sense as, as the elements come round, and in that quiet time we examine ourselves. Now, sometimes... There's nothing that pops into mind. It's not because you're perfect or a saint, but just that the Lord's not bringing anything to mind. And so often with myself, it's a time just to say, Lord, you're awesome. I'm so looking forward to taking this. You know, but now and again, there are times when I think, oh, actually, there's something I need to get right. We examine ourselves. Some other churches, they, they, they structure this in. I remember when I was in China working with the underground church, and it was Sunday, and Ben Dykeman, a good friend, he was charged to preach through interpreter, and I was given the privilege of leading communion. And, there were, and this was with, uh, in an underground, um, it was actually underground Bible college, in the middle of a factory, working factory around us, where the Christian owner had given this um, secret Bible college the administration block. And the students would come in, and they would, stay there for about eight months, ten months. Um, they wouldn't leave, and, and the factory would just quietly work. Well, not quietly. The factory would work around them, and they were there. And we, would, we had this privilege. And I asked him about communion, and he said, well, make sure that you give them a chance for them to examine themselves and to repent. And that's not quite how we did it, but that was fine. So um, we come to that, and I paused, and through the translator, I asked them for a time to examine themselves. And they, and then there was these these prayers, and people started to cry, and it was it got really intense in a very unpresbyterian way, <laughs> and there were tears, and they were, these these guys were repenting, and I whispered to the interpreter, was it time to move on? He said, no, no, give them a bit more time, and I was very humble, and so that, that was how they examined themselves. They they really took it seriously. And so once, um, once, once the tears stopped flowing, we moved on to the next part. And in many respects, it was very much like a communion here. But that was how they did that. And that's a possibility in some churches. But we, uh, I suppose it's our Presbyterian background, we try to do things a little quiet. Um, it may be good sometimes and maybe not others. But in that time, examine yourself and just say, Lord, I'm sorry if you need to. I'm sorry for this and I'll promise to get it right. And so that's why... We need to do so we do not fall into the error of the church of Corinth and that we honor the body and the blood and each other. So whether you are eight or 80, it is good to examine ourselves before we take communion so we do not take it in an unworthy manner. And this brings up another issue, and that is the age at which we take communion. Is there an age limit before you take communion? communion. Now, the Passover meal, if we go back to our roots, the Passover meal, which is still celebrated by Jewish folk today, is a family meal where children not only eat the meal, but the youngest one is instructed during the meal to go to the door to see if Elijah the prophet has turned up, because in the Old Testament, it says that before the Messiah comes, Elijah will come. And so it's a symbolic way of them keeping that prophecy alive. So the children are participants in the Passover meal active participants. And so in our church, we allow children to take communion as long as they have an age-appropriate understanding of what's happening, because obviously an eight-year-old will have a different understanding from a 10, 12, 30-year-old. 
Now, for parents, and I'm sort of really talking to parents for the next minute or two, uh, when you enrolled your children into the Kids Church program, you would have been given a, a welcome pack. And in that welcome pack, you'll see on the right of that photo, there's a wonderful explanation at an age-appropriate level about what communion is. It's a great read even if you're an adult. <laughs> it's got lovely pictures and simply explains it. And on the other side of that photo, there's sort of, uh, sort of a background for parents. And so you would have got this when you enrolled your children there. And so I strongly encourage you to prayerfully consider whether you would like your children to have communion or not. You don't have to. Some parents prefer to wait until their primary age children are at high school before they take communion and, and maybe even tie it in with baptism or confirmation. But either way, I encourage you to read that material. Mandy, I'm sure, will have spare copies uh, if you have folded it away in that place in your home, which is like a black hole and you can never find it again. But we can get there. Encourage you to read it yourself. And if you'd like your children to take communion, to work through that lovely booklet with them so that they can have an age appropriate understanding of communion. And you might find that your three-year-old is too young, but you might decide that your six or seven-year-old is fine. Or you might decide as a family that, that even if we do have young children, we'd like to have communion together. Whatever the decision is, the elders will respect that, and it's your decision. Uh, we don't know your children the way that you do, and we believe this is a call that you as a parent can make so that your children can take the cup and the bread in a meaningful, age-appropriate way. Now, children, you're doing so well listening this morning, and I'm so pleased. And So I'm going to tie this up, and we're going to have a song, and then it'll be morning tea time. So thank you for what you're doing. So look, just to sum up, let's be encouraged. Communion is this wonderful celebration. We take the body because Christ gave up his body. Because he gave up his body, we were set free from slavery to sin and death, and how we rejoice. And we take the cup because Jesus gave up his blood. He shed his blood so that all that shelter under his blood escaped judgment, just like the Israelites did in Egypt, but oh, so more. So we celebrate that, that we have been saved and that Christ has asked us to take this communion meal until he returns. And so when we have communion next in a few weeks, we are being obedient to Jesus' words who said, do this until I come again. And we are celebrating the body and the blood of our dear Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have so much to celebrate when we think of what Jesus did for us on the cross, his body lifted up and his blood shed for us, and we rejoice. Help us, Lord, to grow in our understanding and to experience Jesus afresh every time we take communion. And I pray for the parents here that have primary age kids, children here, that Lord, you'll just help them make that decision and spend that time with their children so that there will be a wonderful sense of family celebration when we have communion together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.